the work week, am I right? But do you know what would make it a little bit better? Doing church on a Sunday and then listening to a podcast about the sermon. Welcome to the Post-Sunday Blues, a preaching post-mortem, a production of Liberty Church Collingswood. Each week we'll spend some time unpacking Sunday sermonics, and we hope that you'll be able to connect a little deeper with the message and the messenger. It's a win, if we can make your work week a little less blue. Good morning, and welcome to the Post-Sunday Blues, a preaching post-mortem. House lights down. <laughs> I forgot to say house lights down. I, you, you really need to script out you my intro because I... It's not just the spouse thing. I think I'm just not friend. that close friend. I, I think I'm just not that. I'm not going to be that host who has these things memorized. I just I'm not. That's you hired me. I guess I don't even know how I got this job. That's true. So no, I think you're doing a great job. Well, well, thank you. I guess I should introduce us now. I am Emily, the host of this show. I guess if it's if it's a show, I was just told it was not a show. The word show is not in the title. Um. And I'm here with my husband, who has not done up his hair today. No, you're getting free-range gym here, everybody, today. It's going to be great. Yeah. Uh, and we're here today, as we often are on Tuesday mornings, kind of to to debrief Sunday. Yeah. It feels like forever ago. I am, like, both tired. You're going to have to wake me up. I feel like I'm a little tired this morning. So, and I I barely can remember yesterday. I'm not sure I can dig back all the way to Sunday. And I'm not sure if our listeners can either. Like, I don't know how this listening to sermons and... No, they've got this. (laughs) Helen Wolves are high quality. And for my own part, I'm feeling great. I took my first beach day of the year yesterday. That's right. In Ventnor. It was often, it was only me in a beach chair. I was invited. Maybe a mile on both sides. I was the only human being. If only every beach day. Well, with yeah. with family, I mean. It is not going to be like that next week. It will not be like that next Memorial week, which is why I was there weekend. this Monday and probably won't be there next Monday. But I see you, Jersey Shore. We're coming for you. Yeah, but but on, on days without traffic. That's right. So Memorial Day, the beach. Um, we I feel like this, this whole podcast, I, every time I'm like, oh, we're being nostalgic again this week. And this is no different necessarily. It's part so of being was, a storyteller. Yeah, yeah. Was, Nostalgia. Uh, so the beach is a point of nostalgia. You had a you had a beach day because just because. But what inspired the beach day? I am curious. Uh, so I'm taking full Mondays off after a pandemic suspension of the practice, and have been going to the newly renovated museum for the past few Mondays, and wanted to change it up a little bit. The weather was just warm enough to go to the beach. And I, I carpe diemed. I, I said, let's let's do it. I, I do love being at the beach with my family, but there's also something uniquely relaxing about a solitary beach chair, the old man and the sea. Right. And that's a new thing you picked up. I remember you were talking about our West Philly days in this sermon. We'll get mm-hmm. to that in a second. But I remember that you used to not like the beach and... I had to drag you there. I actually also did not. I was not a Jersey Shore convert. I was a little bit yeah. uh, snooty about it with my Florida days and my memory. Right. Uh, but there is something about the Jersey Shore now. So yeah, you're kind of completely in wives of the Jersey Shore. That's <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm your hair is huge this morning. I'm starting the next the next season. <laughs> that yeah, was a, that's a spoiler for you. And I will say about the beach, too, one thing that I was thinking about yesterday, this relates to preaching and sermons and 
life. The So Eric Mitchell, I think we mentioned last podcast, was ordained now two Sundays ago. When I preached my sermon on the floor of presbytery, so in the in the ecclesial body that I was in at the time, to be passed for ordination, you would preach a sermon that morning to all of the seasoned vets in the room, and then you and would be full body cavity searched exam wise afterwards for Bible and theology. They throw darts at you. Right. And then they'd say, okay, we've been mean to you for the past three hours, but we do like you enough to be ordained. Just like a fraternity. That's actually. right. Your hazing Seriously. process. Your, your preaching so much hazing to, process. So much to unpack there <laughs> at so many levels. And the sermon that I preached that morning at Presbyterian I composed on the beach in Ocean City back in early, I guess it would have been late 2002, early season 2003. And it was a sermon from the Gospel of John talking about wrestling with the idea of, is God so big that he commands the waves and the wind? And could this God be our God. Sure. That that feels like it connects as we like move into the official call it stormy Monday and we think about calling it stormy Monday. Yes, calling it stormy Tuesday. Um, we think about why this sermon, why this Sunday. So you had um, beach reflections yesterday where you you didn't have beach reflections when you were planning the sermon, but as you're like reflecting on all of this, mm-hmm. like thinking about the West Philly days, thinking about being ordained, like like right. it just was um what kind of things are gurgling up in your mind and heart? <laughs> Sorry, gurgling was... In was the gurgle. The, was that not the right I, word? I, th- I think I used the word gurgle on Sunday when I was referencing that good... Did you catch the reference to uh, that good Western Pennsylvania Italian oh, food? Oh, you which did. Is, that must be Which my is Emily's favorite. What, I love that Western PA Italian food. Where the quality is shaky, just lean into quantity. That is the mojo of... Western Pennsylvania Italian, and I'm fully on board. So yeah, gurgling up in my mind and heart over the past week was asking the question, and I told a story from our West Philly days towards the beginning of the sermon too. I don't know if you'd want to go into that and call it Stormy Monday or later on, but feeling the weight, and I've had a couple conversations with a couple different people. Preaching is always this dialogue of, I'm listening all week as I'm writing. Uh, Is God really involved in our lives or not? Right. And the theological term is is wrestling with God's providence. But wrestling with God's providence is supremely practical because even as followers of Jesus, we can live lives where God is very distant or absent or not there and therefore not dependable in the sense that like we're not depending on God if we don't think he's even there in the first place. And have have felt sadness hearing from people that do name the name of Jesus, saying that it's just it's just cold to right. me right now and this seemed like an appropriate sermon text and time in the life of our church and in the life of our world to drill down on these things this past Sunday right I mean I think it might be always a thing that people are thinking but maybe collectively more as a whole um, we're still looking and trying to see what God is doing and it, yeah. it I don't know what is God doing so um, hearing stories about how God has worked in the past seems appropriate because right. it, it kind of is a callback. So, um, yeah. So what was the, you were, you were mentioning your intro and jumping back into the days where God, um, was doing a work you did, you laid out, um, 
a specific memory. What was that? What brought that memory specifically to mind? Why did it feel like the appropriate thing to bring up? Why are you laughing? Sure. The short story writer and novelist like James Salter, a few years, he's a deceased author now. He came out with a short story collection a few years ago called Don't Save Anything. That was apparently a motto that he told to younger writers who would be predisposed based on other writing coaching to keep huge files of stories and ideas that you'd save to use later on. Mm -hmm. Salter was like, you might be dead tomorrow. Don't save anything. <laughs> just write it. Yeah, just, just if put it out if there. you find something good, just use it now. Don't save it for another day. Mm -hmm. They might not be reading another day. So I I don't keep this Rolodex of memories and stories usually that like I'm saving for months on end. Okay. So it just came to me this past week in preparation. And I think it was probably fresh in my mind too because we had representatives from Resurrection Church Philly. Right with us the Sunday before for Eric's ordination. So in brief, the story was years ago at my first church, our first church in West Philly. Uh, the church had been struggling for a long time. I thought the problem was that they just never had a pastor named Jim Anger before. That turned out not to be the case. The church continued to struggle when I was there. We did our best to turn it around and went through a process of reflection and prayer, asking should this church stay open or close? And we were led to the point of thinking, hey, let's give thanks for the decades of fruitful ministry that this church has enjoyed. But we feel that eyes facing the future, the days of this church have come to a close. Right. And you're saying this quickly, but it was it was pretty significant of a time and a difficult decision and and a pretty dark place of struggle and prayer and that kind of Very thing. Very much so. Hugely yeah. tumultuous. The the preacher and preacher's family, we, we took took the call for that church thinking that this is this is going to be great this is a hard work but we feel strongly that god has directed us here loved west philly loved west philly bought a house bought a house that that was crumbling around us day by day that's a story not, for I another love, day i love that house in retrospect <laughs> you love you're great at I loving things in retrospect then too it's your favorite perspective i loved it then too <laughs> right so the, the the house was its own set of stories but the, the church just didn't grow, and there was a lot of discouragement, a lot of pain, a lot of questioning. And so it wasn't a, flip that, a switch that was flipped overnight, should this church close or not, but it was a very long, painful process of, in real time, as we're thinking about God being present in our lives and directing the course of our lives in history, there just seemed to be a season, years of God saying, no, no, no. I remember... We, we did an outreach in Clark Park one time, and whether or not this was the best idea, uh, we had an outreach budget, and we said, let's give free pretzels, water ice, and water on a hot day in Clark Park. Let's do 3,000 of these little packs, and we'll just give them out in a brief, and I thought, wittily composed invitation to church, and I told our people who were wondering... Hey, we're tired and exhausted. Do we have to? So Sundays were totally exhausting for our people because there were so few hands on deck week after week after week. Do we have to go out into the heat on Saturday and do this outreach? And I said, Yeah, three thousand sounds like a lot to of water bottles, water ice, pretzels to pass out. But just imagine if only like five percent of people would show up at church. Uh, 
four percent three thousand that would still be a huge encouragement to our people we had zero percent show up right zero is not an encouraging after that i i I don't know what five percent of three thousand is but i know what zero percent of three (laughs) thousand is and that is the exact number that showed up at our church afterwards but then phase two of that plan was our staying in the area to plant a new church better contextualized to the area and took a prayer retreat God, is this what you want us to do? It'll take a lot of work to pull a lot of pieces together to start a new church, as right. I well know better now. <laughs> we know better now than we did then. And I don't often have visions from God, but there I was on this prayer retreat at my parents' place. I thought that I saw a vision of a map of West Philly before my eyes with sort of like a... And the original draft to the sermon, like it was a red line Mm -hmm. drawn across West Philly. But then in the wake of learning more about redlining as a cultural (laughs) practice, I decided to keep that That the color uh, under wraps. But I felt God saying, yeah, Jim, this will be a church in West Philly that you'll lead. And the name of the church that I'm giving to you is Resurrection Church. Church didn't happen, worked for nearly a year to try to get that church off the right. ground. But then lo and behold, 15, 16, 17 years later, there's a new church plant in that same area called Resurrection Church. Yeah, yeah. And uh, I think the question for us to wrestle with as followers of Jesus or as skeptics, is that just indigestion on my part? Right. Is it happenstance that Resurrection isn't actually a bad name for a right. replant? Or does God work in longer and more mysterious arcs than just happenstance? Yeah, that is, it is one of those things that feels... Had that occurred to you, by the way? We had we, not. Uh, well, I didn't even know the new church plant was called Resurrection. Gotcha. But I do, when you were saying you didn't tell anyone, I was like, no, I remember being told that. But you <laughs> amended it when you looked at me. <laughs> uh, but I do remember you calling it Resurrection because um, your dad had just... Um, torn down the house where he lived oh yeah and it was like literally burning the 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 remains of the house were burning Um, that's right i found that quite beautiful but that's me being creepy (laughs) phoenix like but you were using that because he was going to rebuild and he did rebuild Mm -hmm. rebuild the house that he grew up in but built it um different better bigger better with some of the same um floor print and some of the same desire to like still have his family be there and yeah family and so we're using that as a vacation home as a place to to be back for holidays yeah, and including things like next that. month right so uh, i remember you saying um the parallel you you were ready to um bring the old church to a close because it felt like it needed to be closed the people were very weary and tired and mm-hmm. Um, needed a restart. Um, needed a release. Yeah, yeah. So, and then that there would be a rebuilding, and yeah, it's a, it is kind of like I'm. Yeah, it's kind of one of those I'm speechless type of things to think about the name being the same because there it is a com. It's not a common name. It's not a common it church is name. It is a. It is a common it's phrase in the Bible. In the Bible or word in the Bible, mm-hmm. but it isn't a totally common name so that it it feels crazy (laughs) we're crazy 
So if, if people would have been sitting there on Sunday morning, or if you go back and listen on the podcast feed to the sermon, if that story seems totally bogus, and Jim, that is just a coincidence, this is why I don't believe in God at all. Like sure. the sermon would not have worked. So I did, it's one of those Sundays, similar to a few weeks ago when I talked about my friend Brian, who had the great toy room, and the rest of the sermon would not make sense if you're not on board with that right. first analogy. I just shoved my... You just threw it in. Like, chips let's, into the let's center of the here. table and said, hey, I think God is real. I think this is an instance of God playing the long game in our lives providentially. And let's do a sermon about this very thing. Right. And I, I think it's I think it's important to have to wrestle with that because I think we probably both in our own heads also still have the skepticism of the world yeah. or the culture to say maybe I invented that or right. maybe it's a coincidence. Um, but if you ha- if you fall into just deciding that that's the way it is, then really the story of Elijah is the same thing. There was you that's you will you will excuse the story of Elijah and you will say all of these things were coincidence um, or made up or contrived by somebody who was writing it. Yeah, so, that, yeah, that's a great point. Uh, um, the the eyes of not faith with a story like this, as we've been going through First Kings, is you know droughts happen. Marines come after droughts, and this God hypothesis is just fancy, right? Pious window had, dressing on, on nothing at all. Magic trick that he like pulled out of a hat. To, sure, to there do are these ancient things. people, gullible, right? So as we, you've been spending a lot of time in First Kings. We, we've been spending a lot of time with Elijah here. Um, as we moved to Sun Studios, and mm-hmm. I met her in church. Mm-hmm. Uh, what? Tell us a little bit about this specific passage, this specific aspect of Elijah's story. Yeah, so within the realm of biblical narrative, of which this passage f- comports and is a part, the some of my favorite passages to read, and this is why I enjoy the Lectio Continua of not just picking a passage here and a passage there, but going going sequentially through, uh, this is one of those connective tissue passages where not a lot happens. And so this is a little bit of, you know, our our oldest son just had a stage production this past week in Collingswood, an outdoor show that was great. Go Prince Charming. Yeah, so he performed Thursday, Friday, twice on Saturday. There were representatives of our family that were there, (laughs) I think, at every show, including including multiple times. And so between between scenes and moving from one thing to another, there's the stagehands shuffling on the on the stage to get this prop over here and do this thing over there. Some people exit, some people come. This is one of those passages where not super central to the story. This is after the showdown on Mount Carmel when the fire comes down on the altar of Yahweh, not of Baal. There's going to be a conflict set up for this coming week between Elijah and Ahab's wife Jezebel, who in some ways is the bigger, better bad guy than Ooh, Ahab. The wife she's is the, a better, big, bad guy. She's the, <laughs> the femme fatale Thanos of, of this story. Who's and Ahab Thanos? And Ahab is just the Loki from the first Avengers movie mm. who's, who's a dupe for a larger plan. Just connective tissue. So they're coming down off of the mountain, and Elijah is headed to Jezreel, where Jezebel is. But there's this series of back and forths where God sends the rain, where Elijah speaks on behalf of God to Ahab, and things are moving. And it felt like a good opportunity. I, I do think it's a fair 
sermonic treatment of this passage to take in the direction that I did. This is a peek into the workings of God because God is at work in this passage. Right. Um, I'm just, I'm looking over, I'm peeking over because I actually don't have my passage in front of me, but here we go. There you go. Thank you. Um, Real time (laughs) podcasting. Uh, So yeah, so as you, as you looked at this, what, what made you not just skip on? Like, what is it about this particular um, little, as you're saying, scene switch that was speaking to you or that, that made you feel like this is an interesting aspect of God and God's providence that I want to address? Good question. And the answer is no. So nothing in particular about this passage made me not skip it as I was planning out the sermon series. Mm -hmm. It's more a pattern of over years of preaching. And maybe this is something that comes with a little bit of experience where I've done enough extended sermon series through either books of the Bible or chunks of the book of the Bi- of books of the Bible, where often with those little passages and the connective tissue texts, those are some of the most fun for me to go back and look at commentaries about. And I felt that God I've seen God show up in those sermons and and meet me to preach what I think are like better than average sermons sermons for me. And the the flip side, we've talked about how it's harder in some ways to preach from common passages because people have heard it before. There there's no surprises. Like I would be surprised if anybody would have on their inner bicep or forearm or ankle a tattoo commemorating first kings 1841 to 46 right. like i, just I mean after to... <laughs> this sunday i'm sure that the tattoo parlors across the region are full of people that heard the sermon and are getting some great gothic fonts out to right like i myself had to body. ask you for the passage because right. because in my in my notes i'm like what did you preach on again yeah it happens <laughs> um yeah so that does feel like a specific a specific challenge um yeah do you like how what is the process that you're taking as you as you look at one of these um transition passages then? yeah just listening and trying to find interesting details so interesting details from this passage included how and i mentioned already in this podcast and at the sermon on sunday how it seems like god is speaking in place in place of elijah so the voice of god the direction of god is not super directly seen in this text until the very end when the hand of God is on Elijah, driving him towards Jezreel. But if earlier in the Elijah story, God speaks to Elijah and Elijah obeys, including in the language of First Kings, with the same words to show that he obeyed fully, uh, scholars will call that a command and compliance pattern. I don't think it's a coincidence that if there is command and compliance pattern from God to Elijah earlier in the story, there's the same command and compliance pattern first two verses of the passage between Elijah and Ahab. So Ahab is verbatim obeying the word of Elijah mm-hmm. because as the widow at Zarephath says at the end of Elijah of 1 Kings 17, I know now that you're a man of God and that the word of the Lord in your mouth is truth. And so that was one of those little details where like, oh, God's not explicitly speaking in this passage, but there are strong textual clues that, God is still very much at work. And then with uh, conversations that I've had with folks, is God real? Is God there? Is God doing anything in our lives? Pandemic is crazy. Where is God Where is God showing up here? So those are the sorts of things where uh, 
moment and text seem to come together. Sure. Um, and I can see, I can see that, that God is, or in your, I don't even know the terms you're talking about, the, <laughs> the direct command to whatever. Command and compliance. Command and compliance. Can we teach that to our kids? <laughs> <laughs> that's, our, that's our parenting podcast. That command we're... and compliance. <laughs> I, I need some of that. Command that's and pro- compliance probably with why, Probably why I can't keep that in my head is because it never happens. <laughs> But yeah, that that if God would command and Elijah would comply, and then Elijah com- commands, and then Ahab complies, that that God's work would be in that. Um, I didn't comply with my parents, so that's probably the breaking point. No, uh, <laughs> a few weeks ago we mentioned the conversation that I had and with your dad when I asked for your hand in marriage. <laughs> I sat down. Your dad didn't say anything for a long time. His first words to me were. <laughs> Emily is very, very stubborn. And then he just paused. <laughs> as I'm doing now. I <laughs> still pausing. Think our kids comply. <laughs> Good. <laughs> so one other quick bit, baby, from sure. the I met her in church section, or I guess I guess a couple will say 1A and 1B. They're actually 1 and 2, but I said 1, so I'll stick to it. 1A, uh, from this passage, I semi-fudged it a little bit. I don't know if you... fudging. From the pastor. (laughs) Now you're awake. Imagine that. Okay, now you're you're on the playing field. I like it. So with verse 42, where Ahab goes and eats on the mountain and Elijah puts his head between its legs... That was a fun moment of checking commentaries where there were a lot of different opinions about what's going on with those sure. two no, details. And you were saying no one knows. And I said no one knows. And then I made the point, which I think, you know, I'm, I'm not going to preach something that I don't think ultimately flies, but, or is, deals with the text with integrity. But, but I did make the little point that God is at work when we don't know what's going on, just sure. like we don't know what's going on in those actions from Elijah and Ahab. Right, where's the fudging? Because you know what's going on? Uh, the the playing, it's, it's drawing an application a... point from taking it one further step back. So there's nothing directly that I'm getting from that passage. It's an argument from the opposite where okay. I don't know what to get from that pa- passage. So, so I'm arguing from a vacuum of knowledge and drawing a parallel that we Sometimes have vacuums of knowledge. Sometimes your philosophy major is so applicable. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'll, I'll neither admit or deny that sometimes in marital conversations, Emily has said, you're in philosophy argument mode with, re, with me right now. Well, I'll admit that you say that, but I'll leave the open question. Does Emily love it when I'm in philosophy argument mode with her, or does she I not? Just, my brain starts thinking about the latest 90 Day Fiance episode. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. <laughs> Which, you know, keeps me on my toes. Yeah. Uh, Josiah Micah's tennis coach asked which of us was the smart one because my, our kids are doing so well in school. And yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's funny. You know. <laughs> Who do you think? Sounds like a backhanded friend? compliment. Hey, my coach said that I was smart. <laughs> I got a lot of those from coaches and then from teachers. <laughs> well, you're good at sports, right? <laughs> so it goes both ways. And then finally, I'm with, I met her in church, Sun Studios. I did try, so it was a three-part sermon, and tried at the end of each of the 
three little sections to tie things into the life of Jesus. Mm -hmm. So when you're preaching Old Testament, it's not a bad idea, at least once during the sermon, but multiple times if possible, to bring an old and ancient story into the context of how we find terminus points of the story in the life of Jesus. And I just tried to say that if God is providentially at work in and around the life of Elijah, supremely he is at work in and around the life of Jesus. Right. I'm, I appreciate when you're pointing pointing us that direction. It feels like um, that is the it, the primary thing. You can we can get lost in details of things, but yeah. um, even even if we just generalize your generalized points of God's work um, graciously, directly, indirectly. But if I'm just generalizing to that, but not concretizing to Jesus, um, I can just you can kind of just get lost in. Yeah. General sense of like, okay, good. Sure. Um, yeah. I want these things to have teeth. Yeah. So that's good. Um, okay. Moving along though. So to muddying the waters, as you have been talking about um, your heartbeat behind this, um, you're engaging a lot of different types of context as you're talking. I, I did notice you were talking um, a good amount about to a skeptic, to a post mm-hmm. Postmodern, pre-modern, not pre-modern. That's just in my notes, but you were talking about pre-modern beliefs. But you were trying to address the postmodern. Are we in postmodern right now? Is there like a post-postmodern? Postmodern, nobody wants to be called postmodern. They're better or more more descriptive terms. But it's not bad for like (laughs) like an umbrella term. You got to, anyway. Yeah, it's it's a label, so it has its own set. So of our drawbacks. present context. What's the present context that you were trying to engage with? Yes. Here? So God's providence, and yeah, good question here. And I did try to weigh a couple different skeptical objections to the idea that God is in control of all things, in control of our lives, directs them for His good purposes. And I tried, and this is, I think, where you have the note on pre-modern. I I tried to float both a pre-modern and continuing objection or skeptical thought about is God really in control of all things, but then also one that came to us more in the modern period. And to me, the weightier one, perhaps, or at least the more pressing, is the, the newer one. And this is something that I think is not only germane to skeptics, but followers of Jesus will have will have these same struggles is God really in control of all things because we just know so much now about how the world works? Is God really a, ne- a necessary hypothesis for thinking about how events unfold in our world? And I use the right. example of rain. Right. Pre-modern time, why does it rain? God's will. Why doesn't it rain? God's will. But now, now why does it rain? Now all of us know why it rains, right? Because Cause of you, our... So you can explain the scientific <laughs> process behind El Nino? Right. Helen yeah. Wolves, let, let, me, let me tell you about El Nino. <laughs> the... So, so there, 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 there are those among us that can explain such such things. There is a baseball player who played for the Pittsburgh Pirates in the 1980s named Andy Van Slyke, all-time great name. He remains a coach in Major League Baseball. Some baseball encyclopedia that I had said that his hobby was watching the Weather Channel, and he was just a, a meteorology <laughs> buff. So you know who you are, meteorology buffs. Feel it, free to it, identify it, it's as not, such. It's not me or you. It so. is not I. Somewhere out there. Someone so, knows how El Nino works. <laughs> Meteorologists will tell you, here's like a hundred or more different factors about why there's rain or not. And I think a couple other you know, examples... 
you know, M as as we get older, we know more Are people. Are you calling with me old? The, yes, by three months <laughs> and change. In fact, the we we have more peers and slightly older that have health issues, and so there's doctor's visits, there's there's tests, and in Christian contexts, uh, and you know, we'll tell our skeptical friends and neighbors too that we're praying for something or try to engage the faith front there too. We're praying to God for good news on health fronts, but then there's so much information and medical treatment available, which is great, but then the faith challenge is getting good results on a test is important. Getting a good doctor is important. Having a successful surgery is important because we see tangible results that have oftentimes life and death consequences. But praying to God, is that important? God's will in this situation, does that even mean anything because we have all of these reports that we can log on and see about what's really going on with health? So upshot to all of that is, is it an outmoded or unnecessary idea to believe that God really is directing all things? And apart from the eggheaded nature of what I just said, um, there are huge practical consequences and upshots for how we live, depending on how people would wrestle with that question. Right. And God working both, both like you're saying, in the direct ways and indirect ways. Correct. Uh, the mainstream of the church throughout the ages has always been both and, where God works through, and, you know, Thomas Aquinas in the Middle Ages would talk about primary versus secondary causes, and the Reformation period, there, there were, you know, categories put together to, to discuss proximate mechanisms of God's providence in the world. Uh Etc. So lots of philosophical and theological furniture there to, to, to access. But all, bottom line, both and, God directs all things, sometimes apart from and above human processes, but then oftentimes within human processes. Another example, I saw a CNN report. Franklin Graham was on CNN saying that people should take the vaccine because God works through vaccines. So that's, sure. that's another example of, hey, it's a false dichotomy to sure. say either faith in God right. or vaccine. Right, right. The both ends of a... a right. <laughs> yeah. But, but then there's still just the practical question, and one thing that I wondered about the sermon, that I spend too much time on the theoretical and not enough time unpacking the practical about mm. how do we live and with greater purpose. awareness and dependence that God's purposes are afoot in the world and in our lives. Sure. I try to say things like, look, listen, and hope, uh, but maybe maybe we should spend more time unpacking and embodying just how to do that on a regular basis. So I imagine that I was preaching to some people that were like struggling with, hey, is this true? But then also probably more people, not, is this true? What do I but do with is it? Is it real? Yeah, and and how do I actually how do I actually live that out? So, I, I probably am too. Luckily, heady I mean, luckily you do have um, more sermons to go <laughs> in your lifetime <laughs> I, at this church. One I would do, think. I do, and and I guess part of part of my rationale for how I preach is like I I trust my people, or not that I shouldn't try to be practical, but I trust my people to make it practical. And that's right. that's why we need the community of faith. So it's not a sermon given as the only 
Christian touch pointer instruction for a week. You know, we have this podcast now, so there's two. We've doubled our efficacy. <laughs> but then these are also things that I want people to talk about. I want people to weigh around the dinner table when they're hanging out with friends. How do I make the reality of God's providence in my life more practical and dependable for me? Those are good questions for us to ask. Sure. Yeah, like it. Um, and I think that I think that it is something that we can all kind of think about, like, because it's so generalized, I can see that it has different specifications or different um, action points for different people. Like just knowing that God has a purpose and is working, is at work and kind of having to examine your heart to see if you really believe that or if you're, you're going to intentionally like just move on with life without a purpose or to say, I don't think there is a purpose or I don't think yep. we can know the purpose. Yeah, I tried to push back on the idea that there's no purpose. Um, we'll get to this in Barban cover tunes a little bit with a couple of examples there. But one of the or the other, you know, whether it's a pre-modern objection or modern uh, problem of evil stuff, how can there be a good God that mm-hmm. controls all things and have bad things yep. happen in the world? Uh, whether east or west, north or south, ancient times, it's always contemporary an issue. times, it's always an issue. Right. So... I'm under no illusions that, hey, me talking about the problem of evil for two minutes on a Sunday morning is, is going to solve it. I do go to a passage like, like Acts 2, where Peter says in the Pentecost sermon, it was kind of nice that I was able to reference Acts 2, the first Pentecost, on Pentecost oh. Sunday at church. Hello, liturgical calendar. How did you even do that? This, you know, Magic. I'm a professional. This Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed. So the cross, Peter says here, horrific event, yet occurred according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. So saying that even in the bad stuff, God mysteriously is in control. And because Jesus was crucified and resurrected, we know that God works all things for good uh, for those who love God and are according to his purpose. Mentioning all of that here in this podcast, one of the advantages and true blessings of being able to preach in a reassembled space as opposed to a video camera in the empty room when i'm talking about god can use hard things in our lives for good i'm seeing the faces of people that i know and love and i'm able to name not exhaustively for all the people in the room but a lot of the things the the, the hard things like like the difficult things so at least when i'm preaching something like that hey god will use the hard things in your life ultimately for your good and their redemptive purposes even within the ugliness of the course of events in real time as i'm saying those things i see specific faces and those specific stories Mm -hmm. and i'm praying in real time that the spirit and that mysterious dynamic between the word of God, the preacher of God's word, and the hearer of God's word and sermons in the room at the same time, that the spirit would make something like that real to people that I think need it. Right. I imagine that's an authenticity check for you to like have to be reflecting like I yeah. like I, I believe this as I'm speaking this and looking at looking at you specifically or Right another person and and it's also the commonality of like realizing that all of us are facing those struggles because I don't think that's always apparent as I've kind of my interactions with um, people outside the church 
can be that other people are surprised by suffering in a way that I don't think I am because I think a lot of people hide their own suffering. (laughs) So, yes, there is a lot that could be said there. Just kind of recognizing that God is at work in everyone's suffering and that nobody's really suffering alone in this, um, in this world. Yeah. And among other things, the Bible says we don't have to freak out at suffering. Yeah. Um, which is good stuff. Then that's a that's an important context to preach to, whether it's pandemic or not. Can right? I say one other thing there? I guess. Sorry, the this Can is, we move on? This is Eric Mitchell's experience at staff meeting <laughs> permanently. I I do think thinking about pandemic. And do we have to keep so, on so much has been said about pandemic that it is I'm hard so to to, to continue to to talk about it. But I think one but of I'm the upshots anyway. for. <laughs> But I'm going to talk about it anyway. Thanks for listening, everybody. Pandemic was one of those instances where a modern, secular, Western bubble was popped, where we can think to ourselves that whether by machination or medicine, we pretty much got life under control and that we have enough and know enough stuff about stuff that life can be made Life can be tamed and made predictable. Right. But I understand that for many Christians, pandemic has been a faith shaker. But the flip side of the coin is that for some skeptics, the pandemic is a faith shaker as well as far as faith in ourselves to be able to make reality predictable and safe uh, that's just not the case. So faith in science, faith in our our connections as a as a nation to be able to come up with ideas on a on a collective yeah. basis. Faith in co- in the collective goodwill of humanity. I think that's been stretched in multiple ways. Faith in government systems, and on on down the line. And if this is it, we might be in trouble. Right. Yeah. That's that's a context. I like a a tangent for me is I kind of every time I walk through a store or something or some place where there's everyone is masked. Mm-hmm. Um, I think back to like the pictures of images from um, Asia during the bird flu when everyone was wearing masks. SARS. Yeah. And we thought it was so weird. Like I being of Chinese descent, like it was just so like, that is such a weird culture that is doing that. Like what? Like, mm-hmm. and so for us to, you can say that I'll, I can't. Just I know it's probably true. <laughs> Um, it is, it's humbling in the, wow, we also came to that. So it's another like questioning your, um, belief in Western culture and thinking that, um, we're above a certain paranoia. (laughs) It's not even paranoia, but like there's an actual issue that was addressed with masks and we looked at it and said, that's crazy. And now we're doing it. Yep. <laughs> so yeah, it's sobering. Yeah. Mm. Anyhow, let's move on to bar band cover twos where um, we can we can make it a little lighter as you you, you throw in some fun, some fun ones. Um, where do you want to start with? Yeah. <laughs> We've already discussed the fun ones to me, the Western PA Italian food gurgling. <laughs> Um, How about pandemic? Am I right? Yeah, and you said something Try the about stay a, all week. A hair shirt? What? What? What is a hair shirt? 
you don't know what a hair shirt is? No, I don't know what a hair shirt is. Right. So that was saying, you know, all these prayer warriors of the past, they go up on the mountain, they go out in the desert, they they wear the hair shirt. It's, uh, I mean, it sounds great, doesn't it? So a hair shirt is just a really, I don't know if it's actually made out of hair. I don't know if it's human hair or horse hair or... Is this Other, a thing? Maybe it's... Is this really yeah, a thing? Yeah, so like like in different cultures around the world, like wearing a hair shirt is a really rough material that material that's a sign of penance because it's actually an uncomfortable shirt to wear. <laughs> <laughs> I want to see you in one. <laughs> what if I'd wear like a hair shirt toupee somehow Can and it would like be a combination? Can you like Okay, so we got that. One... Hmm. <laughs> uh, yeah. The post Sunday Blues after party. Where okay, so let's move on to your other. <laughs> I noticed that uh, you were referencing a book. Uh, sometimes you're lucky, sometimes you're not. That's Philip Roth Nemesis. Oh, another Philip Roth. Another yep. old white guy book. But I noticed that you also told the end of it. And I was like, another spoiler. Like you just said, you said, and it ends, blah, blah, blah. I mean, all Philip Roth books <laughs> end, end in, in in bitterness. Okay. And, I just and wanted despair. to point it out for somebody who is extraordinarily spoiler averse <laughs> and hoists that on other people. Hoists? Hoists? Spoiler alert. Hoists. Philip Roth novels are downers, but they're good downers. So, yeah. yep, uh, there's a character during the polio epidemic in the early 20th century. The book was written recently, right before Philip. It was his last novel before he died. And a character who believes that there is no providence in the world in the midst of a polio epidemic. In the midst of a polio epidemic, sometimes you're lucky and sometimes you're not. Any biography is chance and beginning at conception. Chance, the tyranny of contingency, is everything. So just saying if if we don't believe there is a providential flow to the universe, let's look in the mirror and sign up for the tyranny of contingency. But I think that we'll find it to be a tyranny. Right. Um, yeah, there is a lot of literature that kind of speaks in that direction that you kind of follow through the logic of things just feeling like a crapshoot. Yeah. And, and that's, um, that's honest and beautiful art that stares into the abyss. Right. Um, I guess we didn't get lighter with our coverage. I had a Spock versus, <laughs> I had a Spock I versus was, Kirk reference yeah, there. I was like, why are you referencing Star Trek again? This is like, I thought you like uh, purposely like wouldn't reference and re-reference like Bruce quotes or uh, Sixers, like you wouldn't. Star Wars and Star Trek are not on the Bruce level. Of... I know that's what I'm saying. So why why Star Trek like so many times in a row? <laughs> Don't get it. It's yeah. not even like in the culture right now. Like, right? It isn't right. Sadly, to Trekkies, that's true. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, there's no like Loki coming out. Like, there's no like Star Trek thing coming out for you to be of the moment. You're just digging out star trek references it's very bizarre to me <laughs> references that make no one happy that's what i specialize in okay okay but it makes me happy. what else did you talk about uh, also referenced a book lost children archive valeria luiselli about how life can be nothing more than a accumulation of days that's a book that i haven't read i read a review article about it it's on That's your my favorite list. trick to to read review articles so that you sound like you know what you <laughs> what you're talking about or what other people are talking about. I, it's it's, it's another both and. It's not a book thing. It's no, it's a movie thing. I, you know people. 
Helen Wolves, you are always welcome to ask me, hey, Jim, did you actually read that book or did you get that Movie. quote from somewhere else? And I'm an Soundtrack. open book. <laughs> um, yes. I mean, granted, you are reading more than I am to a large extent. <laughs> very, very, very large extent. Um, yeah. Anything else? Am I missing anything? I, I also noticed this is very tangential also you're using the word flow a lot and i'm wondering like are you picking that up from some random pastor's podcast that you're listening to (laughs) (laughs) so so i was using flow a lot during the sermon that was on purpose just to use recurring language to 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 cement in people's minds yeah it's a new one though it works you think you have free will you do not you're living in my flow i know that that's that's an intentionality in your sermon preaching you usually are using the same ones like the live speak and serve thing or i I don't know so i just noticed it as a new one right (laughs) I, i like that baby thank you for being a careful listener the so just trying it's a theological contextualization gambit where trying to think about how in modern terms people can live within the scope of God's providence in a practical way and you know not that every day a million times a day people talk about flow they're talking about it now it is a new word or it's not a new word but it's an I I don't seems like a word that has maybe increasing currency where like is it a yoga thing is it a is it a Oh, this is why people tune into the podcast so they can hear us make make, make comments about pop culture origins. I just origins. want to know the origin of why you're using the word flow. So apparently you don't it's know just, either. It's, it's kind of live, living in rhythm. There we go. No, I get what it means. I'm just asking what, where, why where, is it in your brain? Where is it from? Uh, the Tenderloin District of San Francisco, okay, okay, 1982. <sighs> Guitar Slim Pickens, any leftovers, <laughs> trivia, things that you want to tell us that would brighten my day? So I already, already mentioned Star Trek. It was nice to be able to uh, mention both Olive Garden in the sermon. Did Ahab just want to go to Olive Garden in verse 42? And is Western that why he PA. went up to the And then the Western Which PA is better, Italian. Olive Garden or Western PA So I, I figured that we would turn the microphone to the host it's and say, what's, what's your take on Western the Pennsylvania same. Italian? Western PA Italian is just like Olive Garden, actually. Why are you such a hater? I'm just saying. <laughs> <laughs> just saying they're the same. So it, it, it is not Emily's favorite food if you want to uh, food. get on her good side you know just 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 find a western pa italian restaurant don't make me go get her a gift certificate and oh go gosh. ahead and uh yeah it's it it's the best out there i actually enjoy it but you know these are personal choices <laughs> that's all that i got for guitar slim pickings kind of like picking over a veal parm when you're already full but there's like half of it still left and you say i'm gonna eat all of it as a salute to the cuisine of this region i really feel like giving jim the silent treatment but it is there is an audience out there so i won't do that which is my inclination um i will just say yeah do we have any howling wolves i don't think we do didn't see any howling wolves from this past week did did want to ask howling wolves hey how's the first king sermon series going right now for you so We've had maybe four four sermons from, from the sermon series, and we have three more from here. Uh, I'm curious to hear, how are people doing with Old Testament narrative? What's God teaching you? 
through the sermon series, what's sticking with you? What do you think will stick with you beyond the duration of the sermon series since it'll be ending in mid-June? Yeah, what uh, what are some takeaways? It's, it's time on? to It's time to hear some beginning to be summarizing thoughts from the Elijah cycle in First Kings. Yeah. Hear what, uh, hearing what you're up to is always a good thing. It's been nice to start to get to, to see people at church. Uh, We're seeing some hell Catch up some people. Um, but those of you who aren't there, um, just finding other ways to connect. One way is to write in and just ask us questions. Post at gmail.com. Thanks for listening. Thanks for sharing um, the podcast with friends. Um, yeah, give feedback. We like to hear you. I, I mean, maybe. We like to hear you. <laughs> uh, I have no other thoughts. Do you have any other thoughts? You didn't bore me like totally. I think it was okay. So what do you? <laughs> Let's ask the listeners. Everyone else, how was it? That was amazing. Thanks so much for joining us. This has been the Post Sunday Blues, a preaching postmortem, production of Liberty Collingswood. Go ahead, rate, review, and subscribe, and you can find all things Liberty Collingswood at libertycollingswood.org. No more Post Sunday Blues. Here comes some pre Sunday happy. Talk some more. <laughs> <laughs> You're going to have to entertain me today. I feel like I'm a little, I'm already starting off bored. <laughs> you have to bring it up. Bring it on. What? What? You're the host. You're supposed to, you're the one that brings the juice. <sighs>